Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Pentecost. We've come to that in our Jesus trip. We've, uh, we've been reading, for those of you who don't know, we've been working our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We've uh, got ourselves these chronological Bibles, and we're, we're reading every day, and we're looking in the Bible on purpose to find Jesus, because Jesus is the, the ultimate subject matter of the whole of the Scripture. The whole of the Bible, the whole message is meant to lead you to this person named Jesus Christ, who alone gives people life. He, he had this problem with the religious people, and, 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 and he said to them, you know what, you guys, you got your head so stuck in your Bibles that you're not actually understanding what the Bible is supposed to do. The Bible is supposed to lift you up out of the pages of the Bible into the face of Jesus. And he says, you're stuck there, but you won't, you won't come to me and have life. You think it's in those pages, but you're actually meant to use those pages to come into a living, vibrant, dynamic relationship with me. And that's what makes you alive your relation with Jesus. So we've on purpose been looking through the Bible, and praise Jesus, we got to the point now where we're talking about Pentecost. Last week, uh, Pastor Carl spoke about uh, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. We, we had Easter in November, and uh, it was, uh, I thought it was amazingly practical. I don't know if you were here last week or if you were in groups. Shout out for groups. We had some pretty good groups this week talking about uh, good times and bad times and what we could learn from Jesus by what he actually experienced the day of the cross. The stuff he went through, his attitude and his approach towards it was just amazing. And there's some really good, powerful things that we learned. And uh, we, we, Pastor Carl didn't really get into a lot of the, the, the behind the scenes, the what's going on in the spiritual realm kind of, kind of talk uh, about the cross, because the epistles are full of all that stuff. So we're going to get there. It's going to be really good. But what last week did was it set us up to talk about Pentecost. And for me, Pentecost is the why. It's the why did Jesus do what he did. We're going to talk about Pentecost from the perspective of not just a historical event that happened to the church, but why is it relevant for you and I today? So we're going to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about Pentecost, because if your understanding of the cross, if your understanding of the resurrection of Jesus doesn't take you beyond that into Pentecost and an experience with the power and the person of the Holy Spirit, then you haven't quite actually really wrapped your head around the enormity of what Jesus did. Because it wasn't just to save us make us alive, it was to empower us and fill us with who he is. So there's, there's a lot of good stuff. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, the, the, the personalization, if you will, of Pentecost, that, is, that was the whole point. That was the aim, the priority, the ultimate purpose of everything that Jesus did, everything he taught, all that he suffered, and all that he went through on our behalf. It was so that he could baptize us in the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely amazing. So we're going to talk about this. And, and one of the problems with this topic is that throughout church history, it's, it's been rather controversial, yeah? Particularly in the last hundred years, since like Azusa Street or the Welsh Revival, where we get our roots from. Uh, just when, when, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened, it came back into church history in, in a really powerful and dynamic way. It sparked controversy. It really did, and it still does. 
So this, this experience that we're going to talk about, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a controversial thing. It's something that people have fought about. It's something people have argued over. It's something people have disagreed about, separated from each other over. It's something they've criticized people about. It's something that they've marginalized, even eulogized it, and said, you know what, this experience is dead and you don't need it. But what I want to talk to you about today, about this experience, there's five points that I want to make. And hopefully these are objective. I believe that they are. And I think they're absolutely uh, truthful about this experience, no matter what. First of all, baptism in the Holy Spirit in your Pentecost, it is necessary. What we're going to talk about is a necessary experience for the believer. We're going to talk about how it's personal. It's empowering. It's purposeful. And it's something that you really do need to receive. Because it's available to everybody. So, we're going to get going. We're going to talk about what this is and why it is important. Good to see you, by the way, Kitless. There's something about seeing you that makes me happy. There's just something about you. People need to know you. This is Kitless, everybody. Not to embarrass him, but... Seriously, you just make me happy. There's something about the joy of God on your life, man. It makes me happy. I'm glad you're here. So, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It's this, Acts 1, verse uh, 4 to 5. Jesus told his disciples, he said, uh, this is in that period of time, first of all, where he's, uh, he's, he's raised from the dead, and there's these 40 days where he, he's interacting with his disciples, he's revealing himself to them, he's showing them, hey, I'm alive, and by the way, I can do some cool stuff, like walk through walls, but you can still touch my hands. Like, that's pretty cool. And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And one day, he's having dinner with them, and he says, hey, guys, don't leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift that my father promised you. And he said, it's a gift. It's something, it's not strange to you. I've talked to you about it. I've told you about it before. You've heard me speak about it. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So first of all, that's really revealing to me. Jesus said, you've heard me talk about this. This is such a big deal. You can read about what he said to his disciples in John chapter 14 and 16 and John chapter 7. I mean, today we are talking about deep, deep wells in the worship. And Jesus said in, in, in John 7, he said, whoever believes in me out of his innermost being will flow springs of living water. You've got a well inside of you. You know, we're not trying to pull heaven down and get wrestle Holy Spirit. We've got him inside of us. Jesus has provided that. So he's, he's talked about Holy Spirit. He's talked to his disciples about who he is. And he said, hey, somebody exactly like me is going to come into your life. He's going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. And the amazing thing about the life and the ministry of Jesus is that all of it can be summed up simply as this. He's going to be the one who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist, remember him? He had this assignment from God. Jesus said, uh, you know, everybody uh, born among men, he was the greatest of all the prophets right up to the very beginning of the new covenant. He was the greatest ministry because he culminated, he embodied, he expressed the fullness of what the old covenant was all about, pointing people to Jesus. So John shows up and he's got this mission, he's got this assignment, and his job is to basically be a walking, talking advertisement, a marketing board pointing to Jesus and saying, God, who you're, who's coming? The God, the Messiah, the Savior you're looking for. I know when he's going to come, I'm going to show you who he is, and I know what he's all about. This is what you need to look for. He's going to be the guy who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. John, whose sole purpose in life was to describe and to prepare people for Jesus, chose to describe him as the one who would do this. It's absolutely amazing. In all four Gospels, the ministry of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, his ministry is described as culminating and having been fulfilled 
not by dying on the cross, not by raising from the dead, not even the ascension and the glorification at the right hand of the Father, but in this. Jesus' ministry success and ultimate fulfillment is summed up in his ability, his willingness, and his qualification to baptize human beings in the Spirit of God. That's how he's described. That's what his ministry is all about. And he's still doing it, praise God. He's still baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. But this is why he died. This is why he raised from the dead. This is why he's seated at the right hand of the Father, to give us the opportunity and the experience of being filled, saturated, and immersed in this beautiful person called Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, or 4, verse 25, it says this. It says that Jesus was delivered over to death for sins. So Jesus died in order to take our sins upon himself, to remove them off of us, take them in himself, and take them down into death. Then it says he was raised from the dead for our justification. He was raised up, and we were raised up with him. And then he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, it says that what happened in that moment, when Jesus was raised, and when he ascended and sat down at the right hand, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. There was a promise given to human beings. God was going to send his Spirit to us. That is and was and always has been the hope for all of humanity, that Holy Spirit would come and be an intimate part of our lives. Now, it, people didn't always understand it that way. In fact, Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, that Jesus redeemed us so that, in order that, the blessing given to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, if you read the story about Abraham, you don't really hear that the promise was defined as the Spirit. But do you remember a couple weeks ago when Pastor Carl was talking about the kingdom of God? It's not food, it's not drink, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Everything that God gives us, life, redemption, salvation, access to an experiential relationship, it's all in and by Holy Spirit. He's, he's, he is your experience of God on the earth. He's the one who takes of what's in the heart and the mind and the person of Jesus Christ and makes it real to you and applies it as a reality in your world. It's through that person. It's through the agency of the person of the Holy Spirit. So the promise of the Spirit is something that God always intended for us. But we had a problem. We couldn't qualify ourselves. We couldn't do it. We couldn't get it. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't achieve it. So God's great gift to humanity was never, I'm going to stamp you righteous and say, now you have a ticket that will get you into heaven. God's great promise and the hope for all of humanity was, I'm going to take my Holy Spirit and I'm going to just lambaste you and just cover you, smother you, immerse you inside and out with the person of who I am. That's an amazing promise. Praise God. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the thing is, what we're talking about today, Pentecost, it was a real day. It really happened. Jesus Christ, actually from the right hand of the Father, poured out Holy Spirit on the church. That really happened. And there's an experience for the believer in Jesus Christ where you can too actually have your own legit experience. A very objective yet deeply personal experience where the Spirit of God comes tangibly into your life, touches you, and empowers you in a way that you didn't experience before. And in fact, this experience is so pronounced, so, so possible. We'll talk about this later, but the Apostle Paul one time went to Ephesus and he found that there was a group of believers and he said, he, he went, he knew that they believed in Jesus. He went to their meeting, he went to their church and then he, he asked them a question. He was like, guys, have you, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? See, he knew that there was something a little bit off. He knew there was something a little bit missing. 
Because, and, and, and it's not to say that they weren't believers. And it's not to say that this controversial subject sometimes uh, for people who don't believe in it aren't Christians. That's not what I'm saying. If you go to a church and there, there's a church that you've been a part of or you've known or you have friends or family members that go to a church where they don't talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it does not mean they're not believers. They are believers in Jesus Christ. They are born again, brothers and sisters, and we already, believe it or not, have union with them through our, con our connection and our joining by the Spirit of Jesus. See, when you, there's actually three baptisms. Let's put it this way. There's three baptisms that happen to you in the Bible. The first one, the Holy Spirit, when you accept Jesus and say, I want to know you, Jesus. I want you in my life. Holy Spirit comes on the inside of you. He recreates you and makes you a new person. You become what we call a new creation. You're born again. You're made new. Your spirit is united together with Jesus. You become one with him. There's an experience, a sacrament that Jesus commanded his church to do. He said, you know what? I want you to baptize people. This is where one believer takes another believer, dunks them under the water, and in the process uh, describes and helps that believer identify with the fact that when you go down under the water, it's like going down into the tomb, into death with Jesus. And when you get raised up out of the water, what you're doing is you're announcing not your commitment, but his love for you in raising you from the dead as a new person. That's, that's, that's baptism number two. Baptism number three, though, is where Jesus Christ takes you, his Holy Spirit, and saturates you and immerses you in who he is. You literally become one with him. He makes you alive when you accept him. This happened for the disciples. So this is what happened for them. This is the sequence of events for them, and it's the sequence of events for us. In John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus, this is that period of time before he ascended up to the Father, and he said to his disciples, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And that makes me think about Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, the first humans. The beginning of the human race, God came down and met these people, and he breathed on them face to face. He breathed into their face. And it says the breath of God came into them, and they became living beings. That word breath is the same for spirit, ruach. God breathed into them. He breathed his spirit, and they became alive. That is literally what happens to us when we accept Jesus. When you have a face-to-face -face with Jesus, when you encounter him for the first time, it's like he breathes into you. And the ruach, now in Greek, the pneuma, the breath, the wind of God comes into you and you're born again. You're born from above. You're a new creation, one spirit with Jesus. You've been recreated in his image, but there's something more. That's amazing, right? That's so good. That's so good. But there is more. See, there's more than just being spiritually alive. There's being empowered. There's more than just being saved. There's the whole realm of what you've been saved for. See, I hope you have a vision for your life that's more than just sitting around and saying, thank you, Jesus, for punching my ticket to heaven. As awesome as that is, and as much as that should be a part of our dialogue, Jesus saved us for more than that. See, he had a plan for human beings long before we ever fell. He didn't create us so that we'd fall into sin so that he could save us. He created us on purpose, with purpose. And what redemption does is it brings you back to that original start point where you again have the breath of God breathed into you and you're alive again and you get to embrace life with Jesus. And his purpose and his plan for you is so much more than just getting by. Just getting by spiritually and saying, thank you for making me alive. Just getting by and surviving naturally. He actually has a plan for you to thrive and to be everything he created you to be. And you need Holy Spirit for that. 
there's more if you can hear this and more to the point hear what I'm not saying there's more than just having a relationship with God there's actively engaging in it you can you can have a relationship with somebody I use this analogy because it's probably pretty true with between Jen and I we we're married we can be married we can spend all of our time never talking to each other just sitting on a couch and doing my favorite thing watching the TV now if I do that and I never engage and I never say hey let's do something together if I never have a conversation are we any less married of course not are we, are we any less one flesh no that, that 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 relationship is secure it's there but but there's a quality of that relationship where it's being worked out in our lives if we engage each other if we communicate if we do things together if we tackle life together instead of just coexisting we decide hey you know what let's tackle these life problems together instead of just pursuing our own individual tracks we say let's come together and do something together then we have fellowship around and with the common things that we're engaged in same things true with Jesus you can't lose your salvation he's got you you're one with him your relationship with him isn't in jeopardy we got to get that we got to understand that we got to be secure in the love of God. His love for you is not hot one day and cold the next. Your relationship's not in jeopardy. But unless you grasp that, unless you become convinced of it, you're never going to push on into saying, "Hey Jesus, because this is true, I'm willing to take risks with you and I'd like to do life with you. Let's get involved in some joint projects together. Let's do stuff together." You got to know, you got to be convinced and secure and how much he loves you cuz that's the launching pad into these these things these relational activities so you you got you got to know it see there's a quality of relationship that we're talking about we're not talking about the qualification for it or whether you can fall in and out of it we're talking about your participation and your engagement in it so in order to do the things that Jesus wants to do in order to participate with him do life with him on the level and on the plane of activity that he's engaged in we need to be baptized in the holy spirit we need the power of god at work in our lives or those things that he wants to do and we can do together that he's created us to to actually not just fulfill mission and do tasks but to have a relationship with him while we do them all the things he made you to do he made you to do with him so that in the process of doing them with him you get to know each other that's what life's all about that's why he made us that's what eternity's all about that's why your life your future your destiny doesn't end when your life down here ends you've got an eternal destiny to make jesus known forever and ever because he's given us task to perform and a life to live and to do it we need the power of the holy spirit so he's provided this provision called the baptism in the holy spirit Baptismo the word what it literally means is to submerge to immerse to pickle to saturate causing a permanent change and I love I love this analogy from Pastor Carl to pickle imagine taking a cucumber dunking it and leaving it in this vinegar sugar solution and it starts to change its qualities its characteristics start to change but it's pickled it's saturated it's immersed it's dunked it's completely covered head to toe inside no every way to way it's just covered well this is an experience that god wants to give us this is an experience that jesus christ is uniquely qualified to give you where he will take holy spirit pour him on your life and all of a sudden you're going to start to manifest the 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 signs and the the activities 
of Holy Spirit and his presence. See, when he comes into your life, the, the things that come with him, the characteristics, the traits, the impact, the effect of who he is, starts to, starts to manifest too. It's, it's like who he is shows up when he's there, right? Sometimes that can look like, like, like out there stuff, like, like supernatural light shows and gold dust and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes it looks like being able to speak in other tongues. But it's like this. I got a big boo when I mentioned this at the 9 o'clock service. But it's like snow. Yeah, oh, I got booed again. Okay, so it's like snow. You walk through the snow, and obviously you leave some footprints. If I walk through the snow, my shoe prints, my imprints are going to be in the snow. Makes sense, right? It's like that. When Holy Spirit is in your life, he's going to leave a mark. The marks of his presence are going to be there. They're going to be all over you and all over your lives. And this is what it looks like. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. It looks like the gifts of the Spirit. It looks like demonstrations of the Spirit. And it looks like power. Jesus said it's, it's, like, it's like the wind. You don't, see what it, you don't see it, but you see what it does. You may not see Holy Spirit, but you can see his impact. And it's not like the wind in that we're looking at tree branches blowing in the wind. We're not looking for power lines falling over and taking out my power for a long time. What we're seeing is the influence of the Holy Spirit in individual lives and in communities. We're seeing the impact of Holy Spirit in relationships. We're seeing the fruit, the, out, the, the output, the impact of our lives start to look like what Holy Spirit can do, not just what we can do. That's, there's evidence of who he is. And it looks like love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Whether you like it or not, it looks like tongues. It looks like being able to speak in other languages. It looks like sometimes having the ability to interpret what that means. It looks like the ability to discern spirits, to be able to tell, look at a situation and be like, ha, ah, there's something demonic going on, or that's angelic, or I recognize the spirit of God in this situation, or that's just humanity. It, 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 it has demonstrations of miracles, of healings. Uh, people's lives will be filled with supernatural knowledge, insight, wisdom, revelation, and ability to prophesy, to predict the future, to be able to edify each other through the words that they speak. These are kind of things that, that happen when Holy Spirit is active in your life, and your life has been completely submerged in him. It's because of who he is. It's, it's just who he is. He can't help himself. It's what he does. So, this is the experience. Jesus Christ pours out Holy Spirit all over you. It's a tangible, sensible experience. It has real impact, and it's a true thing that actually happens. And the first thing we need to know about it, and we need to be convinced about, is that it's actually necessary. It's not an option. And I'll tell you why. Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing all the nations and, you know, telling them to observe everything that I've commanded you. He gave them a job to do. But before he sent them out, he said, wait, don't go. Stay put. I got something for you. There's a gift. You need to receive this, this promise because you need power. You can't get it done without the power. You need it. And the issue is really one of power versus powerlessness. Power, no power. Old covenant, no power. New covenant, power. Law, no power. Grace, power. It's about power. 
That's why Paul said the kingdom of God is not a matter of word, but power. It's about the ability of God to get stuff done in you and through you. See, the law, Romans 8, verse 3 to 4, the Bible says that the law was powerless because it was weakened by human flesh. But now, when you live your life by the Spirit, it says that the requirements of the law can be fully met in you who don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, the law and its command to love is now able to be fulfilled in your life because the Holy Spirit is now in you, empowering you, making it possible for you to do it. Now, what I'm not saying is Holy Spirit is in your life so that you can live under the bondage of the law again. That's not what I'm saying. But the essence of the law, what the law was really all about, was about love. Romans chapter 7, Paul said that the law is holy. You can look this up in your Bible. Romans 7, verses 12 to 14. The law, that thing that brought condemnation, the Apostle Paul actually said it's holy. It's righteous, and it's good. That's the law. He even goes so far as to say in verse 14 that the law is spiritual. Problem is, we're not. We're sold as slaves to sin. The law is good. The law is righteous. The law is holy. God says it's spiritual. And if you can hear this, the law was not the problem. Both Jesus and Paul described the law, summed it up, and said its basic essence is good. It reflects the priority in the heart of God to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is God. God is love. Love is the very essence of who he is. So the law that commands you to love actually reflects the priorities of our Father in heaven. The problem with the law, though, is you and me. That's its problem. The law required something of us that we weren't capable of giving. And ultimately, where it leaves you is condemned for what you can't do. The law says, go love. Love with all your heart. And then you try. And you're left in this situation of, well, I can't. How do I know when I've done that? I don't know if I've loved with all my heart. What if, what if I did with 99%? And, and then you're stuck trying to measure what you're doing. And then you're rude to somebody. And then you're like, oh, that wasn't love. Now, now I'm toast. I'm packing it in. See, the law was only able to place demands on you. That was its problem. And you have a deficit of power, ability, righteousness, and holiness. You can't live up to it. You really can't. But life after accepting Jesus is totally different. It's an empowered life. Now we serve not by trying to comply with a written code, but by living our lives animated, inspired, intoxicated, influenced by the Spirit. And our problem in life sometimes isn't necessarily that we don't understand that we're, we're not saved by grace. I think we know we're saved by grace. Nobody in here is saved and righteous before God by anything that you've done. And, and I don't know that there's many people in here who would, who would dare say that they are. The problem that we sometimes face is whether we will live our lives with Jesus by the power of the law or by the power of the Spirit whether we will try to realize our destiny and take it into our own hands by living out of our own best efforts and living out of the power that we can generate or whether we will live out of the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the problem. See, you can't serve God in the flesh in our own strength or by attempting to comply with a written code. Romans 7 verse 6 says there's a new way to serve God. It's the way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. So, 
Jesus gives us this experience of not just being alive in him, not just being a possessor of internal, eternal life, but he gives us this third baptism, this very tangible, definable experience, an immersion in the person of the Holy Spirit that empowers us not just to do supernatural ministry, not just to, to be a street person who goes and lays hands on people and sees miracles happen, not just to do that, but to live everyday life. To live, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. To manifest the life and the power of God in life, you need his power. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6 says that he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. What the world needs is a church that believes that, who isn't running around trying to reform things by putting the letter and the command on them, but understands if I can hook you up with Jesus, then the spirit of Jesus Christ will come into your life and transform you. It's not by the letter, it's by the spirit. Number two, it's personal. And this is, for me, the biggest point. This is like Holy Spirit 101. This is it. This is the thing. Your ability to manifest his gifts and his power in your life, which who doesn't want? Who, who doesn't want the, the, the manifestations of this beautiful person in your world? Your ability to manifest his gifts and his power in your life, it's not dependent upon you learning how to connect to or manipulate a power source. It's about a relationship with a living person. If the picture you have of your relationship with Holy Spirit is you constantly acting like that power plug that you're trying to plug into a socket, and your, your Christian life's going to get weird. It's going to become all about you trying to maneuver and do the right thing and make sure the connection's there. You're connected to the power source already through Jesus. He's the anointed one. So your, your relationship with Holy Spirit is established and secure in Christ. You have access. What you need to do is stop trying to manipulate him. Stop trying to manipulate your life so that you can just get him to do something for you. If I fast enough, if I pray enough, if I do this, that, or the other thing enough, then the Spirit of God's going to flow through my life. No, what you need is by faith to embrace a relationship. See, sometimes you can get so busy, caught up in the activity of trying to provoke Holy Spirit to move in your life when he's like, I want to move. I just need you to go talk to that person right there. But you can't hear it and you can't do the relationship because you're too busy trying to plug yourself in. You're plugged in. You're already plugged in. You're one with the anointed one. You can't get any more plugged in than that. What you need to do is just relax. Just believe. Start to listen. Start to respond develop that kind of relationship and do some stuff together. Now, the, one of the, the beautiful picture about how this is personal, about how the Holy Spirit is a person and not a power force, not an electrical current, but a person. Let's watch this. In Acts chapter 11, Peter's reporting to a church and he says, you know, I went and I spoke to the Gentiles and when I was speaking to them, Holy Spirit came upon them just like he came on us at Pentecost. He's pumped. He's stoked. He had an amazing experience with God. And then he went and spoke to people who they didn't think would get Holy Spirit. And bam, same thing happened to them. Mark the word came there. Luke 15, verse 20. This is the story of the parable of, or the, parable of the, the, the son, the prodigal son. It says he, he took his father's inheritance. He went and he wasted it. And then he wanted to come back. And he's really sorry. He thinks his father's going to just chew him out and lots of shame and lots of guilt. And he's, he's rehearsing his story. And he's coming back like, oh, I hope, I hope my father's going to take me in. I hope he's going to accept me. I hope there's a place for me. And it says, well, the well, he was still a long way off. The father saw him, ran out to him, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
Amazing picture, right? Well, guess what? The same word for embraced and kissed is the word used to say that the Holy Spirit came on them. It's the Greek word from the root epipito. The picture that you need for your relationship with Holy Spirit is not you plugging into power. It's you being hugged, embraced, cuddled by a person. That's the picture we need. The prophet Zechariah said that it wasn't going to be done by might, and it wasn't going to be done by power. It's going to get done by the person, Holy Spirit. Number three, it's an empowering experience. Jesus said you're going to receive power when the person comes upon you. The person and the power go together because the person is powerful. When he comes, there's going to be dunamis power brought into your life. And I love the definition of it. It says, for the believer, it's power to achieve by applying the Lord's inherent abilities. Power through God's ability, which is actually what life in the kingdom of God is all about. It's not about talk. It's about getting things done by the power of God. It's actually really amazing. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4, he says, although Jesus was crucified in weakness, the life he now lives, he lives by the dunamis power of God. Jesus exists, his existence, the way he functions, how he lives. He's not living in weakness. He's not crucified anymore. He's not hanging on a tree. He's not beaten and battered. He bears the marks, but he lives in power. His life expresses, drips, and manifests the very power of the person and ability of Holy Spirit. And that's available to us for ministry and life. Thank you. It's purposeful. Now, what I'm saying, sometimes you get, you get an experience with the Holy Spirit and you just love it. You're just like intoxicated and it's amazing. There's a purpose in that. Enjoy it. Embrace it. I'm not trying to say be a prude. Enjoy Holy Spirit and his presence in your life. He's a, he's a, he's a beautiful person. But Jesus said, when this power comes upon you, what it's going to empower you to do is you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the way that I understand that is this. You have power from God to affect others with the influence of Jesus Christ by being his witness in your daily life, in Jerusalem, in the place where you live, in your home, in your intimate, personal world, your relationships, that you know, your family, in, in your house. You've got power from God to affect others with the influence of Jesus Christ in your wider circle, your Judea, your Samaria. Maybe it's the place you shop. Maybe it's the place you work, the place you go to church. Maybe it's the gym, if you're into that. But there's a wider circle where you live, you function, you frequent, you visit. Those places, whatever those places are for you, you've got to walk into them knowing that you're empowered by God to be a witness to Jesus. Then, on top of that, there's the ends of the earth. There's that, there's that realm of influence you have that's beyond the horizon of your physical presence. It's that realm, that place where you are talked about and your influence is felt, even when you're not there. Because that happens, right? You, your influence, your footprint through life, it leaves an impact on other people, whether you're there or not. People talk about you, whether you like it or not. It happens. You, your life matters. Your choices have consequences, and they linger on in people's lives. But the good news is that Jesus Christ baptizes you in Holy Spirit and you got power to witness to Jesus in each of these spheres of life. And if you can recognize your Jerusalem, you can recognize your Judea and Samaria and recognize that you are a steward of influence even when you're not present, tell you what, you're going to have some really big influence. Your footprint's going to be beautiful, impactful, effective, and effectual. Number five, 
The baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is something that is received. So Paul went to Ephesus, like I was saying earlier, and he, he had this question for them. He's like, yeah, I can kind of tell something's not right here. Have you guys received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And uh, they're, well, they're like, no, we haven't even heard of this guy, but the, what I want to draw your attention to is the word received, lambano. And it means to actively lay hold of, or to take, or to receive. To lay hold by aggressively, actively accepting what is available or what's offered. And it emphasizes the volition or the assertiveness of the believer. You got to want it. You got to ask for it. And that's not saying you got to work for it, but you have to receive it. You got to receive it. You need to be open and assertive about wanting this, but you need to let the force of your assertion, the, 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 the source of your emotional, Jesus, I want this, isn't desperation. It's not like, I'm, I'm so unworthy, but please will you do this. It's not like trying to overcome his reluctance. It's knowing that he wants to do this to you, and he will do it. It's knowing that he's already qualified you. It's knowing and understanding that he has already made you righteous and worthy of this experience. And it is an experience. But you're qualified, not by anything you've done. You're not going to convince him by doing a rain dance or whatever to get Holy Spirit to come. Won't happen. But you can believe in Jesus, and you can trust his promise. And you can trust the nature of our Father, where Jesus said, who of you, if you ask a father on this planet, in, in these relationships, for bread, which father's going to give you a stone? No, come on, we're good to each other. As evil people, we're good to each other. How much more is your Father in heaven going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we got to receive it. we got to receive it. And one more thought along those lines, along the lines of receiving. And that's this. Don't get caught up in the religious rigmarole around what you need to do to qualify for it. Jesus does this to people in response to his faith. See, Pentecost is part of the finished work of Jesus. If you embrace salvation by grace through faith, but then work hard to attain the gift of the Holy Spirit, you've not yet fully embraced the full scope of the finished work of Jesus. Because what he did was to qualify you, to make you worthy of receiving this. And he's done it. It's a finished work. Now you get to freely receive Holy Spirit and his power in your life. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul had to talk to the Galatians this little bit, verses 1 to 5 in that book, which you're going to read this week. It actually talks about, this is the linchpin. He, he, he asked the, the Galatians, he says, answer me this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit and the working of miracles amongst you because you obeyed the law? Or because you heard and believed? Obviously, it's because you heard and believed. See, there's, there's, a, there's a, a tendency, a trend through the years where people tried to recreate the conditions of Pentecost. They said everybody waited together in a room. If we can all just get everybody to sit in a room, if we can all get everybody just to, to pray together, to be in one accord, whatever you think that means, then we can recreate the conditions, we can requalify us, and then we're going to get Holy Spirit. That, though, is witchcraft. That's trying to manipulate God through our formulaic action. Jesus responds to faith. Holy Spirit is a gift. Do you receive Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And it is by the hearing of faith. See, they were told to wait. They were wait, told to wait to a spe specific day, not because they were going to get their act together and do anything amazing, but because it had to happen on Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. Jesus was crucified at Passover. He was raised from the dead at the Feast of the first fruits. The Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of, of Weeks, the same time that the law was given, the same time the Jews were celebrating Moses being given the law, 
And remember what happened? 3,000 people died that same day, 50 days after the Passover. Holy Spirit comes, but this time, guess what happens? 3,000 people accept Jesus. There was nothing magical about the day. It was just that was God's timetable. We don't have to copy their example. We just have to believe. It's for us. Second thing I'd say to finish this up is, is you need to engage the experience. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being filled again and again, as Paul said, it's not a one-time deal, and it's not something you can fake it till you make it. It's a real thing. Pentecost was a real day. Jesus really poured out Holy Spirit on a real body of people. And you and I can have a real experience where Jesus Christ baptizes you in the Holy Spirit at a real moment in time. And it can be a very real defined experience. Problem is, sometimes we don't like definite, definitive experiences because in our insecurities, we turn them into exclusive group membership tickets. We're like, well, you have this experience and I don't. Or you guys don't and we do. So let's separate from each other. But we got to get over that. We really do. We got we to embrace the love of God and become secure enough in the love and the grace of God that we can embrace definite experiences where we're not afraid. We're not shying away because somehow in our insecurities, we, we can't say Jesus baptized me in the Holy Spirit because I'm too insecure to say, well, maybe it didn't happen yet. That's not faith. That's insecurity. Being faith, being filled full of faith and filled and rooted in the love of God empowers me to be able to say, Jesus, I need you. Not to fake it that I don't. Jesus, I need you. I need your Holy Spirit. Baptize me. Fill me again and again and again in your Holy Spirit. I need his power in my life. Faith lets me say that. Insecurity makes me say, no, no, I don't need that. I'm good. I'm good. I got it. No, there is a definitive demonstrative experience that you can have from Jesus. And you can have it daily. And you can have real fruit, real impact in your life by the presence of God in you and you being saturated and immersed in him. You don't have to by faith claim results. Your faith can produce results because of the power of Holy Spirit in your life. See, Jesus will baptize you in his spirit. He will immerse you. He will pickle you, saturate you, and make you a different person. Not different in the sense that you're not born again. Not different that you need to be a new creation, new creation, born again, again. Not that, but I mean a new person in the sense that the impact you make in your life, the footprint you leave in your world, it now looks and smells and sounds and feels like the footprint of the Spirit of God. See, your immersion in him will have you leaving evidence of his presence and activity. It'll fall off of you, pour out of you, and flow through you. Jesus Christ wants to fill you again and again with his Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember the, the day the Pentecost came, Peter spoke to the crowd, and they said, what do we got to do? This is amazing. And he said, repent, every one of you. Metanoia. Remember that two weeks ago? Change your mind. Change the way you think. Stop trying to qualify for this by your good works and open your heart to the free gift of God that is the Holy Spirit. The gift, the promise is to you, to your children. All those afar off who the Lord our God will call. And that same promise is for all of us today. We are those far off. The promise is available. The experience is there. Jesus stands ready, willing, and able every day to immerse you in the person and power of Holy Spirit. It's good news, eh?